Will you join with me as I pray? Father, I just thank you, Lord. Um, I thank you for the truth of the grace that is found in the gospel, the good news that you did for us what we could not do by doing something we probably would not do. And that is by sacrificing your son on a cross so that you might redeem your creation back to you. And Lord, I thank you for your church, the bride of Christ, that as a people gathered, we are greater than the sum of our parts because when we gather, you are in our midst. I thank you for this place that when we are here becomes the sanctuary of the living God. May we drink deeply from the fount of living water and taste of your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat and good morning to you. You know, Jesus was walking with his disciples and he'd been asking them questions about the world and about people and then he turns and he looks at them and he says, he asks them the question of life. He says, but who do you say that I am? And how we answer that question makes all the difference for eternity. And Peter gets it right and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You can almost picture how excited Peter was, right? Because he finally got one right. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you, not your flesh. And then he says to him, But now your name is Peter. I'm going to stop calling you Simon Barjona unless you are messing up, which he does when Peter would mess up. He says, But upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower. That's a powerful promise, and we are here today talking about Upon This Rock, I Will Build My Church. We started our new series last week. If you were not with us, um, I talked briefly about kind of how we got here. You know, last summer we all, as a group, in the summer we did a, a, a study called Experiencing God, and, it, and, and very basically the premise of that, of that season together was let's look for where God is working and just join Him there. Right? And then we walked through, we spent all of last school year walking through the Gospel of John, that we would walk with Jesus and see, see it through the eyes of being sent ones, because, because Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we talked about what does it look like to be sent ones. And then this summer, at the beginning of this summer, seven different men preached through the powerful epistle of, um, of Philippians and talked about what one of the ways it looks is dying to self. And then we just finished up eight weeks and as we looked at um, the Beatitudes and what kingdom living looks like in the eyes of the psalmists and how it's distinctly different from what the world thinks success looks like. Last week I asked a question, are we in danger of losing the gospel? Are we in danger of losing the gospel? Because the gospel is the rock that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about Peter. The gospel is the rock. So I want to start here today because I think it's so important for us to know what is the gospel. And although I'll be teaching on it, Lord willing, in a few weeks in great detail, I, I, we need to rehearse this over and over, one, so that we can share it as sent ones, as disciple makers, but also so that we can remind ourselves of it. So if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans is in your New Testament. It's after the... Um, it's after the Gospels. You go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You go past a big book called Acts. The next one is a big letter, Romans. We're not going to start in Romans 15. We're going to finish there today, but we're going to start in Romans 1. 
I want you to look at Romans 1 and verse, verses 18 to 23. Guys, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will put a Bible in it. If you don't own a Bible, put your name in the one they give you and keep that. I'm going to, actually, I'm going to start right now in verse 16. Look at what Paul says about the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Guys, if, if Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, then we ought to know what it is, because that's pretty important. Wouldn't you agree? That, the, that, that God's power to save is a pretty important thing. And so we're going to look and see quickly three things about the gospel. The first thing I want to point out about the gospel, well, first, let me just, and I mentioned this last week. If, 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 you want to, if you want a really short definition of the gospel, somebody said to you, what is the gospel? God saves sinners. Three words. That's all you have to remember. God saves sinners. The gospel is much bigger than that, but it's certainly not less than that. God saves sinners. Let's look and see how Paul addresses that. He starts with, there is one God, and he is holy. Right? He, there is one God, and he is holy. Look, in, look at verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven in, against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Guys, get that. God is, God is he, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that he has put eternity in every man's heart. For God made it evident to them. And then he goes on with this idea that God is holy and wholly glorious. And he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which was made so that there would be no excuse. For even though they knew God and did not honor him, or, they, or they, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Guys, that was me for the first half of my almost 50 years now. I would look around and not, and at God's beauty, at God's holiness and his glory, and I would not see him. Because I didn't want to. Because I thought I didn't need him. So the first thing about the gospel is that there is a holy God in heaven. The second thing about the gospel is every one of us has been plagued by, are a part of, and participate in sin. Every one of us has been plagued by the fall. We are a part of and participate in sin. Look at what he says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on, being justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which is in Christ. Guys, all of us, everybody who's ever been born, are sinners. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I, I don't think I sin, start there. And, and I don't mean that as flippantly as I often say it. I mean, guys, start there and go, okay, so ask yourself the follow-up question. Why don't I think I'm a sinner? Whatever road that leads down, the, the answer to that question of, why don't I think I'm a sinner? Whatever justification road you come to does not lead to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I was so good at that for 24 plus years of my life, of figuring out why I wasn't as bad as those people. 
The problem is we're, we're setting our standard on the wrong thing. Right? He doesn't say that all of sin and fall short of the glory of the guy you're sitting next to, wives. Or the woman you're sitting next to, husbands. Or, or all of sin and fall short of the glory of the world. He says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our problem is we don't remember the first part. That God is holy, perfect, and completely holy, glorious. And so we look around the world and we go, yeah, we're just not that bad. Because if, if, if the presence of God filled this place like it filled the tabernacle in the Old Testament, none of us would be in the room. We wouldn't. We couldn't. That's what happened to them. So there's a God who is holy, glorious. We are all sinners in need of saving. And the last thing is, he is the one who does it. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, do you get that? He doesn't say, and God showed his love for us that once we got our act together, Jesus came. Right? Yeah, praise God for that. Guys, the gospel is the good, that, that is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. It says so right there in Romans 5.8. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Guys, that's news we're sharing. That's news worth proclaiming, not only to the world, but frankly to your own heart over and over. And, and don't end there, but if you look at verse, chapter 8, verse 1, because guys, that promise is for salvation, but that salvation is for eternity. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing the enemy can do. There is no lie he can whisper. There is no sin that's going to shock God out of loving you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God saves sinners from the death that we deserve that is a product of the fall, and we just inherited it, but we also participate in it. We also participate in sin, and if you don't believe that, there's part of your problem. I love how he says in, verses, um, in verse 2 of chapter 8, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus was set, has set us free from the law of sin and death. The antidote for death, for, that we all look, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Right? The only question is, where do you go for eternity? And the antidote is the gospel. That's it. God saves sinners. So are we in danger of losing the gospel, the true gospel? Are we in danger of losing the true gospel? Because the gospel is what makes a real disciple. A real disciple is not someone who just lives a disciplined life. You can be in the military and live a disciplined life and completely reject God. A disciple is someone who has been changed by the gospel. Guys, the gospel is also what shapes the church. The gospel is also what shapes the church. So last week we talked about, and upon this rock of the gospel, I'm going to build my disciple. 
And if you were not here last week because it was a holiday week, which is not always the smartest time to start a new series, I would ask you to do a couple of things. I would ask you to go to our website and do two things. One, sign up for the In the Word today, the devotional that comes out. They're, they're the same readings that are in your toolkit. It's just another way to get it in front of you. It's on the front page of our website. The other thing I would ask you to do is go to the Messages page of our website and listen to or watch the message. Guys, because, and I, and I rarely do I say that, because I feel self-promoting. I don't mean it to be, but it sets the table for the whole rest of the season we're going to be in over the next few weeks, because it's all about discipleship. Today's message, we're going to look at, upon this rock, the gospel, I will build the church. So I'm going to ask this question today. Are we in danger of losing the local church? I know we're not in danger of losing the church. How do I know? Because Jesus just said, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The church is not going away. The enemy does not win. The world will not overcome it. But what about the local church? Because that's most of what the Bible is talking about. When, when the Word of God uses the word church, it's not talking about some universal, we're all Christians, so let's just all, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's speaking of a local assembly of believers, and that's how I want to define the church. So what is the church? The church is a local group of disciples, supernaturally saved, fit together, and filled up by the Spirit of the living God. That's what the church is. And, and if you read, starting in, in Romans 12, when he, when he says in, in, at the start of Romans 12, therefore I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Guys, what he's from that, from that, that's just the launch. He's like, therefore, because of the gospel, live for Christ. And then the rest of Romans chapter 12 is how he fits the gifts and fits the body together, which you've already heard a little bit about today. And that, that yellow sheet that is in your, um, that's in your bulletin talks about how are you gifted? How do you fit into the body of Christ? That's what the rest of Romans 12 is talking about. So read that. Then he goes on, and how do we fit together, and how do we prefer one another? And that will bring us to where we're going to, where we're supposed to be today, and that's in Romans 15. So turn to Romans 15, but we're going to start at the end, and I love that Jeff used that as the welcome. Romans 15, verse 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. I'll come back to that passage here in a minute. But are we in danger of losing the local church? The short answer, guys, is yes. The short answer is we are because the local church has become a social club. And guys, whether this message is for you, kind of like last week, whether this message is for you, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, or this message is for you to be encouraged to go speak to a brother or sister that you, that you know this describes, I wouldn't start there in my brain and go, yeah, so-and-so needs to hear this. I'd start with, okay, do I, what do I need to hear here? But don't just leave it here, because it's a little bit of preaching to the choir. I'm talking to people that are sitting in the church about the importance of sitting in the church. I get that. But that's because today, probably a third of our people that would call Cornerstone their home are not here. Right? Not to mention friends that you have that would claim to be Christian. I'm getting ahead of myself, Let me, so I'm going to get there in a few minutes. But guys, the church has become a social club. It's become a place where we come to get instead of give. It's, it's, like a, it's like going to the gym, right? I pick the gym because I like it, because it fits me, because it schedules good, because that's what, it, it has become a place where we come to be served instead of serve. 
So, so I would ask a question. How many of you walked in here today, even before you walked in the door going, who can I serve today? Who can I be used of God? <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Who can I be used of God to bless today? And guys, it can be just this. It doesn't have to be tearing down the benches and stuff, although we can always use help with that. The music team can always use help getting all this stuff packed up and put away. But guys, it could be as simple as this. Smile. Everybody right now, smile. And repeat after me, how's your soul this morning? How's your soul this morning? Guys, you look at another brother or sister in Christ or somebody in this room, and you look at them and you smile, and you ask them a simple question. How's your soul this morning? You have served Jesus. It can be that simple. It can be that simple. But the problem is, we don't come in with that attitude. We come in going, man, I sure hope the music's good today. I sure hope Doug has his act together. I sure hope that, you know, that the person I wanted to see today just to hang out with is here today. We don't come going, how can I serve? So here's today's question. So you say, okay, thanks, Doug, for making me feel bad. Here's the question. How now are we to live as the church? Well, fortunately, our passage gives us, gives us the solution. There are two supernatural entities in the world. There are two supernatural human relationships in our world. They are husband and wife, knit together by the Spirit, and the local church. Not the universal church. Not the capital C church. The local church is fit together supernaturally. And you'll read about that this week in your readings, and you'll read about it a little bit even here today. But how are we to live then that way? So the first thing is we're going to start back up in verse 1, verses 1 through 3. Our first point is, we are to live in selflessness. We are to live in selflessness. Look at verse 1. Now you who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please yourself. And that word ought means you have an obligation. It's not, well, you know you ought to if you feel like it. It's you are obligated to bear the burdens of other people. That's, that's where he starts with. If you're part of my church, he's saying, if you're part of the church in Rome, you are obligated to bear each other's burdens. Then he goes on. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Guys, in this passage we're looking at, there's only two commands. There's only two, like, you, don't, you just do it, don't doubt it. And one of them is please your neighbor. That is not a suggestion. Paul is saying, go... Now, here's the question. I just heard... Guys, who's our neighbor? We immediately think of our person next, of the person next door, and it certainly is. And we, and, and, and the event that's happening this evening at, at, at six o'clock with, the, with your, you have an insert for that is just a model of how we can love our physical neighbors. But your neighbor can be the student sitting next to you at school. Your neighbor can be the coworker in the cubicle next to you. Your neighbor is anyone that God has placed in your path. What did Jesus say when he tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan? Your neighbor is doing, is whoever does good to the glory of God. That's what it looks like to love and to, and to please your neighbor. Then he says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. It's interesting that Paul is quoting Psalm 69, but he only lists the second half of the psalm. The reproach of you fell on me. Guess what the first half of the psalm is talking about? People's, God's people gathering together. He says in Psalm 69.9, For the zeal of the house 
of the Lord consumed me. He's saying, I wanted nothing more than to be in God's house with God's people. And yet, it was hard. Okay, the problem, here's part of the problem in the local church with, with these three verses and this idea of living selflessly. We have bought the lie that relationships are easy. We have bought the lie that what we really mean is only if we like them, only if they are like us, only if, if it feels good. And so, and so we, don't, um, we don't embrace the glorious mess that is the church. Guys, here, here's the thing. Was, was God getting relationship with us easy for God? No, what did it take? The death of his son. Right? So, so, but somehow we think that relationships with other people are supposed to be super easy, and if they're not, that means we're not supposed to be in them? Praise God he doesn't have that attitude. If God's attitude towards me was, well, if, if my relationship with Doug were easy, I would be in there, but since it's not, I'm out. But we've bought that. We've bought that lie. Guys, we are a glorious mess of people. We are. Cornerstone Church is a, is a glorious mess of people covered in the glorious grace of God. I love how Spurgeon put it this way. Um, 18th or 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, If I had joined a church until I had not, until I, until, if I had not joined a church until I found a perfect one, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, I would have spoiled it. For it would no longer have been a perfect church after I'd become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth. Guys, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It is in the stickiness, the, the mess of relationships, in the midst of us being supernaturally stuck together, that Christ, that we, that we become the most like Christ. Guys, it, that, that's why there are two supernatural relationships in the world. Marriage and the church, and there's two entities in the world that God uses to conform you to Christ-likeness. You're more than any others. It is your marriage and the relationships in the body of Christ. But that's why church hopping and church shopping, and you know what, I'm going to leave. That's why we are running from the will of God. But I get ahead of myself. So today's question, how do you live? How now are we to live as a church? One, live in selflessness. Two, learn to see the Savior in the Scriptures. Learn to see the Savior in the Scriptures. Look at verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in early times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance, or better, maybe, I don't know, a better translated, but you could also translate that word endurance, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Guys, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying, look, Guys, in the midst of the chaos and the, and the glorious mess and the hard relationships, keep reading the Word. Keep focusing on Christ. Go back to... Now, what scriptures is he talking about? He's not talking about our Bible because they didn't have it yet. What's he talking about? The Old Testament. And what he's saying is, guys, in the midst of, in the midst of wanting to run... Because these relationships have gotten too hard. Remember the promises of Jesus. Remember that Jesus Christ was promised from the beginning until he came. And the same God that, that orchestrated all of those events to fulfill the promise of, of the cross of Christ is the same God who will orchestrate the events in your relationship. So don't run from them. Embrace them. That's what he's saying. He's saying, remember that as Paul he says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 2, or 
2 Corinthians 1 maybe. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. He's saying, remember, remember, remember the scriptures. I love how the New Living Translation translates this verse. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Here's the problem. I want you to think, as you look at that passage, I want you to think about this. I did a little bit of research this week as I was preparing. There was a Pew study. Pew is one of those people that goes out and does a lot of surveys, right? Pew Research. They did a study in 2016, two years ago. 73% of Americans self-identified as Christians. Is that not shocking? And it sounds like good news. Here's the problem. Most of them aren't. I'm not going to get into what, how they defined it or how they what. I'm saying 73% of Americans they surveyed said, I am a Christian. The, rest, the, the next biggest was atheist. The next biggest was I, like the other, not like Muslim and whatever. The other things are, right? Here's the problem. Out of that 73%, only a third of them said they attend church regularly. A third of that 70, 73% said, I don't ever attend or seldom attend. I call myself a Christian, I'm never in church. That's the back third. There's a middle third that says I attend occasionally, once or twice a month. Out of the third that attends regularly, only a third of them said that they are regularly reading their Bible on their own. That is a small percentage. 75% of the people in our country say that they're Christians. And I, don't, I didn't do the math and figure that out because I'm not that smart. But a fraction of that percent actually meets with Jesus every day in the Word. And that was what last week's message was about. I, I, I say this, right? I, I've used this multiple times. The, the first call on the Christian is not behave. The first call on the Christian is behold. Then believe. Then become. Then you'll behave. I want to add a B to that today. The first call on the Christian is Behold then believe, then belong, then become, and you'll behave. Why? Because the belonging shapes us. Guys, the belonging intentionally, that's the whole, if you get nothing else out of today's message, Jesus Christ has not only saved you and gifted you, but has intentionally brought you to this place on purpose. To make you more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's how you'll bring him more glory. That's it. That's it. And when we run from that, whether that running looks like I'm out of here because someone has offended me, or whether that running looks like I just don't feel like it today, I was out too late last night, I was doing whatever, and I'm just not coming today, we are diminishing his ability to do his work in our life. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but let's get to our last point. So first, we live in selflessness. Second, we learn to see Jesus in the scriptures. And the last thing is we love togetherness. We love togetherness. Look at what he says in verses 5 through 7. Now may the God who gives perseverance or endurance and encouragement grant you to, the, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God of, uh, and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. You guys, do you get that? He's right down those first two verses, he's connecting. When we are together and unified, it is for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring God glory, so that you might bring God glory. Now here's part of the problem, and I want to step back for a second and say this. We have connected unified with the same. 
It's like in our country now we say we need to treat everybody equally. What we have created, what we have put in our minds is equal means the same. It was never meant to mean the same. And it's the same thing in the church. Unity does not mean sameness. How do I know that? Well, because if you read Roman, if you read the rest of Romans 12 or you read 2 Corinthians 12, or 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see he made us so different. He doesn't want little carbon copies of each other. But we think that because we, behave, we think differently or we act differently or we have different interests, that I mean, there's no unity here. Because that is not what unity means. What unity means is I completely disagree with you, but, in, but it's not a gospel issue, and so I am going to love on you and embrace the opportunity for both of us to grow. That's what unity looks like. It's not, okay, well, I just need to put up with whatever. It's not just going, you know what, even though I don't agree with that, I just need to tolerate it. No, it's, here's, it's seeing it for what it is. Here's an opportunity to grow into Christ-likeness for both parties. It's, it's no different than your spouse. But if a spouse bolts, not only do they lose the opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness, but they've diminished their spouse's opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. Guys, the, the reason the church matters so much is because, is because every other way of seeing people gather together can be completely explained. Like, how did we get to this place where the church is just people coming and going and nobody really has a real affiliation? It's because, back to my first thing, we treat the church like a social club. We, we, have, we have allowed preferences to get in the way of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that, and this is going to hit home for some people, because it, it, it tore me up. We have allowed things like, what version of the Bible do they teach from to, dis, to, to, to divide us? We have allowed things, and I'm not just talking here at Cornerstone, but it's certainly not, we're not immune to it. Or what version, what kind of music do they use? At, 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 you know, that's, that, doesn't really, that doesn't really fit me. How about this one? What, what is their programming? What do they have available for me, and what do they not have available for me? We use that to, ch to pick a church. We do things like, how, what is their social status? What is their racial makeup? Guys, we do things like, what is their opinion about school choice, about homeschooling versus public schooling versus private schooling? And, 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 because, they don't agree, and because there are people there that don't agree with what I think about how, about how to use medicine or about how to... Um, fill in the blank, I'm going to leave and go find some people that fit me. Essential oils. oils. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to go find some. But, but guys, here's, here's the problem with that. that. That group can be completely explained on an earthly level. When an unbeliever looks at them and they go, well, of course they like to hang out together. They all think the same way. They all look the same way. They all act the same way. So, so here's what start, here's what is, I'm seeing this, like, it's running rampant in the last three or four years. I don't need to go to church because I belong to this Bible study at home. And I just really love these people and enjoy being with them. Why? Well, because we're all a homeschool fan. We're all homeschool. We all think the same way. We're all raising our kids the same way. We're all, I get the comfort of that. Our flesh loves that. Yeah, that's what the Amish do. Are the Amish making a difference for the gospel? My dad was Amish until he was in grade school. They are not making a difference for the gospel. Why? 
Because they want to huddle up with people just like them. Because that can be completely explained on any earthly level. That's why that Bible study in a home is not the church. That's why the homeschool group where people go, you know what, but I'm getting my, I'm getting my, my kind of relational needs met through my homeschool group or through my, or through my, my what do they call it, P- parent-teacher association here at school, or I'm getting those relationships met there. Those things are not supernatural entities fit together by the body of Christ. They are a group of people that think the same thing and look the same way that want to get together. And the world says, of course they do. Of course they all want to be together. But guys, a church that is made up of black people and white people and brown people and old people and young people and homeschoolers and public schoolers and people that took five ibuprofen before they got here today and put four drops of essential oil in their coffee and people that guys, that church beautifully fit together. When somebody walks in and goes, these people look nothing alike. They're, 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 being, they're all different and yet there is a unity here that is beyond anything I can explain. Did you get that last part? There's a unity here beyond anything I can explain. What are they seeing in that moment? Jesus. That is why it matters. That is why we have to fight that urge in our own flesh to go, but I really just want to go hang out with those people that I really like. Or, I, or, or I'm, I'm going to leave this place and go over here because I like these people better? Because we're missing the opportunity to go, you know what, what does the Lord have for me here? And how can I be used here to conform here into Christ's likeness? That is the beauty of the church. It makes no earthly sense, and that's why God gets the glory. Guys, here at Cornerstone, we are not going to be like that. We are, not, we are going to be a church that doesn't all think the same thing and doesn't have to. Right? We're going to be a church that, doesn't all, that, that, that embraces, doesn't run from. Because look, look at verse 7. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 7. I read it earlier. but I, Therefore, accept or welcome one another just as Christ also accepted or welcomed us to the glory of God. Guys, do you get what he's saying there? Praise, imagine this. Just think with me for a minute. I'm going to read that verse a different way. Therefore, tolerate each other just as Christ tolerates you. That's not feeling, I'm not feeling very warm and fuzzy, Jesus. Praise God, he doesn't treat us that way. I'm just tolerating Doug today. It is all I can do today to get through like this day, and look at Doug, because he is such a sinner. But you know what? i got to tolerate him. Because nobody's saying tolerate. We are saying encourage, edify, equip, admonish. But for the purpose of the glory of God, that's the church we want to be. We want to be a church that says, I can't stand these people, and I love them dearly. Because we have one thing in common, and that is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as the music team comes up and the lights come down, God, I pray that you would search us, O oh God. Lord, that you would 
Help us to see. what the church is really supposed to be in our own lives. Help us to see the things that, that, the preferences that we have made a priority to the detriment of loving each other. Your son said, by this, they will know that you are mine. By your love for one another. Lord, help us to be a people that welcome each other, even in our differences, that, that challenge each other and strengthen each other, even in our differences. The church is meant to be, we know, the church is meant to be a taste of heaven on earth. I'm going to read a glimpse of what that eternity is going to look like, and then the music team will lead us in a song. It's out of Revelation 7. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne of God. Because John did not see a group of people that had been turned into little carbon copies of each other. He saw a people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation still speaking their own language, still looking the same way. standing before the throne of God. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders looked at me and said, those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who have overcome the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. Oh, come Jesus, come. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away all their tears. Father, I just thank you again for the beauty that is the mess that is the bride of Christ. Lord, may we embrace the truth that it's not about us. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.